0: You're listening to a message from Maranatha Church of Jacksonville. For more information, please visit our website, maranathajacks.com.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Pastor Brian here. Uh, We're going to start something new today. It's called Throwback Thursday. Uh, We've been a church for about 17 years, and we've got 17 years worth of recordings from sermon messages and other things that are really good, and so... What we're going to do is periodically on Thursdays is go back and grab one of those messages and share it here so that we can all remember it and just remember the message that it was given. And what I found today is a message that Rich Stevenson spoke at our church in 2013, and it's called Smoke in Mirrors. It's a really important message about the presence of God in our lives and the danger of having the form of godliness and denying its power. It's interesting because he's speaking Um, all those years ago, um, right when we were starting to talk about building the building that we're now in. So it's kind of cool to hear that perspective from back then. He refers to our church as Oakleaf and Oakleaf Christian Fellowship, because that used to be our name before we settled in on this property, if you didn't know, um, and then changed our name to Maranatha. And so when he's saying that, he's talking to us. He's talking to us now. And it's amazing how relevant this message is to us right now, all these years later, and I really hope you enjoy it. And I want to share with
0: you what I consider to be the most important thing about the tabernacle of David. The one most important thing about the tabernacle of King David. That's what the message is going to focus on. But before we get there, I want you to remember... The tabernacle of Moses that preceded the tabernacle of David and actually continued beyond the tabernacle of David. And so I'm not going to cover everything about the tabernacle of Moses, but I just want to hit a couple of highlights. You remember that God prescribed a tabernacle for Moses to build as they moved across the earth so that people could encounter him. He said, I want to dwell among my people, Israel. And so I want you to build a tabernacle for me so that you can experience my presence. And Moses was faithful to build the tabernacle of Moses. And just a couple of things I want you to remember about the tabernacle of, tab, tabernacle of Moses. When you entered into the tabernacle, you entered into the outer court. And one of the most prominent pieces of furniture in the outer court of Moses' tabernacle was the brazen altar, the glowing bronze altar where sacrifices were brought and made to God. So I want you to picture that in the outer court of the tabernacle of Moses, there was a bronze altar so that people could come and offer sacrifices so that their sin could be atoned for. It's where they were released from their sins. And so you've got that bronze altar, animal sacrifices, smoke billowing in the outer court from the bronze altar. As you moved through the tabernacle, and I want you to get a sense that there's movement in this tabernacle. It's meant for your focus to go from outside the gate into the outer court where Jews and Gentiles could gather. But the focus, there was movement, there was a current in this tabernacle, so that your attention was drawn further and further and further into the tabernacle. You'd come through the outer gate, into the outer court. There was an altar there with sacrifice, smoke billowing from the sacrifice for the atonement of sins. But then you'd move, because that's the current of the tabernacle, you'd move to the inner court, to the holy place. And one of the pieces of furniture in the inner court was the brazen laver. It was a bowl. Again, bronze, but the Bible says in Exodus that this bowl with water in it for washing, for purification, was lined with what? Mirrors. Interesting. As the priest would come and ceremonially wash themselves in this brazen bronze bowl, it was lined with... They could see themselves as they washed ceremonially in this purification ritual, outer court, altar, smoke, inner court, bowl, mirrors. The current just pulled your attention, though, into the most prominent, the most important part of the tabernacle, the holy of holies. And there was a curtain that separated the inner court of the holy place From the Holy of Holies. And what was the most prominent piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark, you remember, signs of God's power and his provision, the Ten Commandments. A jar with manna in it. Aaron's rod that miraculously bloomed with flowers and almonds, a dead stick. Producing as a sign of God's power. But the most important thing about the Holy of Holies is what hovered over the Ark of the Covenant. In between golden angels carved above the Ark of the Covenant, also known as the Ark of God's Presence. What hovered above the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle of Moses was What the Bible says was the Shekinah, manifest, tangible, real, visible glory of God. And let me tell you something. None of the rest of the tabernacle makes sense unless you've got the glory of God. It's the current of the whole structure. God wanted to dwell with his people. And his glory, his presence, tangible, real, felt, seen, experienced. His real glory dwelled above the Ark of the Covenant in the Tabernacle of Moses. All right, we're going to scan Israelite history. And bring it to the present day and even to the end of this age. And then we're going to focus on a key passage of scripture in just a few moments. So I want to remind you about a terrible time in Israel's history. For years, decades, the tabernacle of Moses continued with the outer court, smoke coming from the brazen altar, the mirrors of the brazen laver, the glory of God in the Holy of Holies hovering over the ark, the ark of God's presence. Years it functioned this way. But there came a terrible time in Israelite history where Israel was in gross sinfulness. Eli was a priest. This is detailed in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and beyond. Eli, the priest, and his sons... The family was in gross sin, and God lifted his protection from Israel. And the Philistines were able to come into where the Israelites lived, even invading the tabernacle of Moses. I want you to get how awful this is, because even in the Holy of Holies where the ark of God's presence was, The high priest only entered there once a year, and he had a rope tied to his leg in case something happened to him because nobody else was going to go in there. They were just going to pull him out. And now, because of Israel's sin, you have Philistines invading Israel, infiltrating the tabernacle of Moses, going in brazenly and taking the Ark of the Covenant. What characterizes this time in Israel's history is what happened to Eli's daughter-in-law in 1 Samuel. She's giving birth at this time, and when she has the baby, this is what she names the baby, Ichabod. And that meant the glory of the Lord has departed. And it's exactly at the time when the Philistines enter into Israel because God lifts his hand of protection. They invade Israel. They go into the tabernacle of Moses, and they take the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God's presence. And she has this baby and names it Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed, as the Philistines are carrying the Ark of God's presence out of Israel. Now, you know how this story goes, right? They bit off a little more than they can chew, those Philistines, right? This was something they should not have done. Because when they took the Ark of the, god, of the Covenant, the Ark of God's presence, and placed it in their pagan temple right next to their pagan god named Dagon, all hell breaks loose, right? I mean, the, the, uh, God's presence destroys their pagan temple. Dagon, when they come the next morning after the ark of God's presence, Dagon is on his face. It happens again the next day. Dagon falls on his face. The, the pagan idol gets smashed in the presence of the ark of God. And the Philistines get together. You know, these guys are kind of like Rocky. That's how I picture them anyway, not too bright. And uh, and they think, right, we got to get rid of that ark. And sure enough, they decide we are taking that ark back to Israel. We don't want it anymore. We're sorry. Won't do this again. You can have your ark. All right, but here's what I want you to see. And there are levels of reasons for this, I'm guessing. But I've never heard anyone talk about this. Here's what happens. Israel gets the ark back. But they don't take it back to the tabernacle. Now, surely... (laughs) there's some fear that keeps them from that because, man, you don't mess with the ark. I mean, the high priest could only go in once a year. And so you've got all Israel going and they probably heard the stories of the Philistines about how the idol Dagon gets smashed in the print. I mean, they're just like, wow, I don't want to touch this thing. But here's what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to see for years. The tabernacle of Moses continues the ark is back in Israel, but it's not in the tabernacle. It ends up in the house of Obed Edom. Not even a Jew. Now here's, here, here's here's my point. Israel apparently decided, hey, things are going okay. We've got the outer court with the brazen altar and smoke billowing. We've got the inner court with a big bronze bowl with mirrors. There's nothing really beyond the curtain, but it's going okay. They continue for years to go through the motions of worship and ritual in the tabernacle of Moses without The ark of God's presence. And it's okay with them. You know what they really have? Smoke and mirrors. That's all they have. But here's the thing that's haunting to me that's enough. Smoke and mirrors. It doesn't make sense when you, when you understand, does it? Everything moved to the presence, to the ark. But they have a tabernacle without the ark of God's presence. And everything continues to operate. Now, that is, of course, until David becomes king. And because of how God had formed David... He's the first one that's able to say, hey, the king doesn't have any clothes in that time. This doesn't make any sense. Why would we go through all the motions of sacrifice and ritual cleansing without the ark of God's presence? This doesn't make any sense. And so David decides that he's going to bring the ark out of Obed-Edom's house because the Lord shows him how much he's blessing Obed-Edom. And he's got the deal. He's got the Ark of God's Covenant, the Ark of God's presence in his house. And the blessing of God is just being poured out on him. And David says, well, this isn't right. This doesn't make any sense. This is crazy. And so David decides that he's going to establish the very center of worship in Jerusalem as king. And he prays and gets the Lord's approval to get the Ark from Odab Edom and bring it to Jerusalem, where David establishes what's called the tabernacle of David. And and we see this story, and I'd love for you to read it. Read it again if you've not read it in a while. It's in 2 Samuel. Look at chapters 4, 5, and 6. And you see David with great fanfare, with sincerity of heart, and just a depth of worship. He gets the ark from Odebedum with sacrifices along the way, with worship. He brings the ark into Jerusalem. He dances like there's no tomorrow. Remember, his wife, Saul's daughter, Michael, sees David dancing, basically in his skivvies, and becomes indignant. And David says, I'm willing to be so much more undignified than that. You have seen nothing yet. As he dances before the ark of God's presence now residing in Jerusalem. And again, I'm just touching this. I'd love for you to study this. But let me tell you what was most important about the tabernacle of David in Jerusalem. Three things. One, they only had sacrifices in David's tabernacle on the first day. Then no more sacrifice. At least sacrifices of animals for the atonement of sin. First day, that's it. The second thing about David's tabernacle that I want you to remember is that it was characterized by intense joy. I mean, off the charts, David dancing with all of his might, and you know that people followed suit, got caught up in the midst of that joy. In fact, those became the sacrifices, sacrifices of joy and praise and worship. Just marked by the joy of God's presence. And then the third thing was access to the Ark of the Covenant. Access to the presence of God. Very different from the tabernacle of Moses. Where you had the outer court and the inner court and then a heavy curtain. And then the high priest only entering into the presence of God once a year. With a rope around his legs so they could pull him out. David's tabernacle. Sacrifices on the first day, then no more. Joy off the charts. Access to the presence of God. Now, I want you to see this. The tabernacle of Moses continues through this season on another mountain. Simultaneously, while you've got... The tabernacle of David in Jerusalem with the ark of God's presence. You've got the tabernacle of Moses on another mountain. Smoke and mirrors. <laughs> now, let's go even further through Israelite history, even past the temple of Solomon. Solomon which tries to incorporate Tabernacle of David with Tabernacle of Moses, but in due time becomes pretty much Tabernacle of Moses. And that continues even to the ministry of Jesus. In fact, the ark becomes absent of Israel's temple In the time of Jeremiah. It's stolen again. And we don't hear anything about the Ark of the Covenant after the time of Jeremiah. Until, of course, Indiana Jones. (laughs) Nobody knows anything about the Ark after the time of Jeremiah. So what that means is, even in the time of Jesus... You've got smoke billowing from the brazen altar, the mirrors of the brazen bowl laver, and an empty holy of holies. And it's just continuing. And apparently it's okay. Smoke and mirrors. (laughs) I've never heard, I'm a little unsure about this because I've never heard anybody talk about this before. All right, so remember what happened on the cross. Jesus, the lamb, slain from the foundation of the earth at the same time that lambs are being slain in the temple on the brazen altar. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross, something significant happens in the Holy of Holies. Do you remember? We see this clearly in Hebrews. The curtain separating the holy place or the inner court from the Holy of Holies is torn from top to bottom. Now, Hebrews, it's clear, this is primary. God is showing us that we all now have access to God's presence, right? Right? But I also wonder whether a secondary purpose was God saying, hey, nothing's in there. And here's what haunts me. This isn't in the Bible, so you can take this with a grain of salt. But I'm pretty convinced that somebody had to repair the curtain. I want you to think about that because temple worship continued so some there's a trustee somewhere in the mix you remember that word those of you that are methodist background there's a trustee in the mix that oh man somebody's got to fix that curtain how would you like to be the guy in history that sewed the curtain that god tore that is a terrible legacy i hope he becomes a believer and I hope it's not hard for him for eternity to have to be the guy that says, yeah, I, I saw the curtain torn and thought, this is wrong. we got to sew it back up. <laughs> Possibly God was wanting to say, yes, you've got access because of Jesus to my presence. But also, hey, look, there's nothing there. Don't go through all of these motions. It's just smoke and mirrors. The key is my presence. <laughs> now, finally, I'm going to read scripture. Turn with me to Second Timothy chapter 3. Because we get some insight regarding the church at the end of this age. That's really important. Second Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 through 5. This is what the church is going to look like as we approach the return of Jesus. Second Timothy 3, starting with verse 1. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. Slanderous, without self control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Well, listen to this. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. Smoke and mirrors. having a form of godliness. Tabernacle of Moses without the ark. Repaired curtain, even after the death of Jesus. This is what will happen. Apparently, there is continually a group that are very willing to go through the motions without the power. Decided it's okay. Not worth the risk of having that ark around. But I want to tell you this, and this is the beautiful storyline of God. In almost every generation, there's a remnant of people who get what David got. So a hundred years after the tabernacle of David, when the temple of Solomon is going through the motions, Jehoshaphat gets it. They get how important the presence of God is. 150 years after Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah gets it. How important the presence of God is. 100 years after Hezekiah, Josiah gets it. Another 100 years, tribe of Judah come together. They get it. They restore worship that's centered around the only thing that makes worship make sense. Presence of God. Amos, in his prophecy, in chapter 9, verses 11 through 13, says that this is what God will do at the end of the age. He'll rebuild the tabernacle of David. (laughs) James, I I don't have time to go into all of this, but I want you to get that what all of these folks refer to is not the Temple of Solomon but this makeshift, temporary tabernacle of David. That's what Amos prophesies about. God's going to rebuild that. Listen to this. When the first century church, after the ministry of Jesus, is at its most crucial day, Jerusalem Council, Acts 15. What does James the head apostle reference Tabernacle of David? Now through the ministry of Jesus it makes even more sense. It's only one day where sacrifice was necessary. Tabernacle of Moses is continuing to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But James refers to the tabernacle of David because there has now been a once and for all sacrifice for the sin of the world. No more need for sacrifice. James understands that the mark of a New Testament community is joy. Even... In terrible circumstances like the persecution of the early church in Acts 8. The community was marked by joy, by abandon in their worship. James understood, like Hezekiah, Josiah, Jehoshaphat, Amos. (laughs) That worship only makes sense when the presence of God is in the center. Everything else is smoke and mirrors. All right. Some big days ahead. A lot of faith necessary. I have the privilege of being forthright with you because I've got long-term relationship and I love you with all my heart. What's it going to be like for you? Because I can tell you this from 30 years of ministry experience and a lifetime of living in the church. That's going to bring a level of respectability that's very dangerous. I don't want you to interpret me as being against building a building. Absolutely farthest thing from the church, from the truth but that will bring you a level of respectability that could be deadly. Most likely, it will also bring you debt that will create a desperation. It will most likely bring you growth, which could also be a real problem. awesome and painful. Because you know who the first round of people might be that come into that building? The ones who've known about you and drive by because they're aware of church. And a church without a building is going to want stuff from me. And most Americans go to church to have their needs met. 89%, this is a long story long ago. I don't know whether it's still true. But over a decade ago, 89% when asked in America, why does the church exist? The answer was to meet my needs. Church that's renting can't meet my needs. As well as a big church. It's got a lot of power and influence. There will be forces in this next year, that the enemy will use to change the very DNA of Oakley Christian Fellowship. And apparently, it's fairly easy to make the decision that smoke and mirrors is enough. So, I want to challenge you to resolve that none of this makes sense without the presence of God. In the grand scheme of things, and to please, I'm believing with you for provision. And growth, more people coming to the kingdom. I want all of that for Oak Leaf. But I also just want to say this loud and clear. That a hundred of you gathering around the presence of God in a rented facility is better than a thousand of you in a building with smoke and mirrors. What about each of you individually? Because the truth of the matter is that the presence of God is so rich and real, not only because Brian is awesome in worship leading and Jeff is one of the most gifted men I've ever encountered, but the truth is man, oh, I've seen this, I've learned this, I've watched this. Giftedness can only take a church so far. If there isn't a convergence of people who get it, it's not sustainable. So what about you? What about every one of you individually as a carrier of God's presence? What about you right now? The way that you're living right now today, smoke and mirrors? Going through the motions? Keeping the face? (laughs) Or are you tending the fire of God's presence within you? That's what will carry you through the days ahead. A corporate resolve to tend the fire of God's presence. That's what I'm praying for you. Would you stand with me? know how to say this so that it carries the weight of what I feel for you as a church. When Tanya and I first realized that God was in fact leading us to focus on the Malachi network only 100% you know what our first question was when we realized we were free agents geographically? We can do this anywhere. One of the first things that Tanya and I asked each other was, what church would we like to go to? And both of us answered, Oakleaf. That's where we would like to go. And we pursued living here. I looked at houses online because of what God has deposited in this place. I want you to treasure it. Recognize how none of it makes sense if the presence is gone. So I want to pray over you and I want to invite you to come if you'd like to pray for Oak Leaf or if individually you'd just like to say, man, I'm going through the motions at a certain level myself and I don't want to anymore. Jesus... Rekindle the fire of your presence in my life. If that's where you are today, I want you to come. I want you to expect to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and the fire of God this morning. I want you to come to the front. Heavenly Father, I pray God's richest blessing on this church family. And I pray for a resolve. I pray for a clarity in the mind of every person to get the tabernacle of david and how god is restoring it in the church today and it will be a force against many who have the form of godliness without the power so lord i pray today the fire of god would come in individuals and i pray lord there be a collective yearning for this church in the days ahead to maintain the priority of God's presence. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come as we worship?